It's a very good Friday for a priest and a rabbi. A very good Friday for you and for me. But I believe that Jesus died on a tree and rabbi just thinks it's day that his kids get off of school. Is that right? Is that sum up Good Friday for you and me? Yeah. Uh, Today's the yeah. day that Jesus died on the cross for me. Today's the day your kids get off of school for you. Yeah. Priest and a rabbi. Okay. So we're going to parse that out. And we all know there's so much more behind that. We're going to figure out what does it really mean for the Messiah to die for the people from a Jewish perspective and for a Christian perspective? What is it like for a priest to go through this process? What does it mean for a priest and a rabbi to be dealing with these high holy days? Uh, and uh, so all that's coming at you in this next 57 minutes. We're glad you're here on this podcast. Uh, please share this. This is how we grow this community. If you can share this podcast with three people who would really appreciate to hear from interfaith conversations and having honest conversations uh, about differences in religion and finding where we're all on the same page as well, um, but not looking through rose-colored glasses. We know there's things that we're definitely on opposite ends as well. Um, so just just uh, subscribe and leave a comment. Um, we're happy to get into this. So a rabbi on this day off for your children and you get and you get Monday off. So you think the Christians don't do anything anymore for, for Jews. It's not true. You get Monday off too. True. You give us a four-day weekend. We appreciate it. I mean, for all the horrors that have been done to the Jews, doesn't that give you some kind of comfort? Be like, well, guys, they're at least trying. Mm. Yeah. That's not they gave, funny. They gave, they gave us a long weekend. Long weekend. Yeah. So, um, okay, humor is, is sometimes a healer. So um, whether that was humorous or not, Rabbi Durbin, are you ready for this, this podcast? Uh, I, was, I, was, I was born ready. I know that. And, and Evan Nine. Um, our, our wonderful Mets person. Are you ready? He's our producer. Okay, he's ready to go. Okay, guys, um, we are getting ready to go for what is what makes Good Friday so good on this Priest and the Rabbi podcast on a count of five, four, three, two. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Beit Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good Friday to everyone out there. This is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church. And next to me is the most dashing rabbi. Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Chayam. And we are here together on this Good Friday. And I'm going to reach out to my producer and tell him that we can't, it, our voices sound like robots. Okay, hopefully out there in the world, you guys don't hear that kind of robot sound. Um, anyhow, it is uh, really, it's great to be here with you all. It is a good Friday um, if you are Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, or some form of Christianity out there, uh, but it's not a good Friday for everyone. 
Um, so I'm here with my, my, my colleague. It is the wonderful and the most decorated rabbi in Martin County because he's the only rabbi in Martin County. Um, and it is uh, Rabbi Matthew Durbin. Matthew Durbin, um, happy Good Friday to you. Thank you, and same to you. I know it's uh, quite a busy and uh, emotional time for you guys, as well as uh, you know, for us as well. Obviously, we are in the last rows of Passover. Yeah, so I, I love how the Abrahamic faiths uh, have these times and these moments where everything is con in concert with each other, feeding into one another. And at some point, we'll get a, an imam on here. So they're not just falling from the trees here in Martin County, but soon we'll get one on here to talk about just how when all the Abrahamic faiths are working together, Islam, Judaism, Christianity. But today, since we are in these high holidays for, for both of our respective uh, faith traditions, um, we, want to, we want to talk about today about about. Good Friday. So this is a very holy day. Some people would say that I shouldn't even be on the radio today because it's, it is a day of fasting. Um, and the, the Germans will call it, they don't call it Good Friday, they call it uh, Sorrowful, Sorrowful Friday or Sorrow Friday. Uh, but this is the day that Jesus hangs on the cross. Jesus crucified on the cross, at least to the death of Jesus. Uh, a day to the next 24 hours of the year, uh, what it's like for a day without Jesus. So I should be all dressed in black, be at church and not be on the radio. But I do think it is an important thing to be here to talk about what this, what this day really means to us. Why do we call it Good Friday? So that's what today's show is. Why do we call Good Friday good? And most importantly, what is it? What does the Hebrew scripture have to say about this? Because as Christians, everything we get is coming straight from um, our, our, our Judeo-Christian background, because since Jesus was a Jew, and so I, I am so curious to hear what Rabbi Durbin has to say about Good Friday, the idea of a Messiah having to be crucified upon a cross, the suffering servant that we know from Isaiah. We will get into all of that today. But first, let's, let's, let's check in, though, about um, we, we, many of us who, who are on this radio station um, do have a Christian background. So we all know about the Good Friday thing. I'm curious. Tell us more about where we at right now in the Passover walk um, for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Yep. So, um, you know, as we mentioned last week, right, Passover came in last Saturday night. Uh, the Torah tells us that it is seven uh, full days of Passover. And of course, we're based on a lunar calendar. Um, so we, you know, we, we organize our time based in the evening. So if we take it right Saturday night to Sunday night, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, tomorrow night uh, will be the end of Passover. So Passover formally will end tomorrow night. Um, but we do have a very curious and interesting uh, concept within uh, those living outside the land of Israel. And that is, there are some communities and some uh, of the Jewish people who observe eight days of Passover. Uh, the Torah says seven, but, you know, back then when we did not know when time came in, you know, we would add an extra day to cover ourselves just in case we may have forgotten or not gotten time uh, correct. Certainly today with our own understanding, we know when time comes in, uh, but that tradition still has, you know, somewhat maintained itself uh, outside the land of Israel. I know when I, when I was growing up, uh, my mom grew up uh, very, uh, very traditional. My mom was, uh, grew up Orthodox. So for my mom, it was always eight days of Passover. Uh, when uh, my wife and I got married and, you know, we had, uh, we had debated, uh, when do we break Passover? Um, and my wife had always said, have you ever read the Torah? The Torah says seven days. But as I mentioned, right outside of the land of Israel, there is a tradition of eight days. But to answer your question in a very long and convoluted way, um, 
We are in the last moments of Passover as it will end tomorrow night uh, after Shabbat. Um, it will formally end and we can consume uh, copious amounts of bread and yeast and corn and you know all the good stuff that we've denied ourselves for the last week. That is, well, first, two things. I love the idea of a buffer day. I mean, that's just so great. That's just so great. And especially for clergy, because many times, it was last night at the service. Last night was Monday, Thursday for us. So that's the day where Jesus, at uh, during the Passover feast for him, he's with his disciples, with his friends. And there's three things that happened last night's service. The institution of the Last Supper. So Jesus sits down with the disciples and said, okay, now this is what it means to take my body, take my blood. Um, so that's big. And then the second is he gives this new commandment, which is love others as I have loved you. Okay, so that's big. And the third thing is I'm going to showcase this to you by washing your feet. And then you need to go out and wash other people's feet. Big night, really holy, really powerful. My sister was in town. It was great, blah, blah, blah. But I realized as a clergy person, I don't really get to sink into it as much as I used to back in the day when I could just be in the church and just allow that liturgy to wash over me. So I wish there was a kind of a buffer day that you're talking about. Like, so this extra day of Monday, Thursday, where I can just not be priest guy and just go be parishioner guy and allow someone else so I could just allow it to affect me. Um, well, so, I, I, I love what you just said because I, I, I think I think that there are many out there that see the role of clergy in a different way in terms of you know you lead a community <laughs> and and exactly as you said just to be a regular parishioner a regular congregant coming in and and absorbing and 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 taking in the essence of of what we're commemorating what we are really about how do you as a priest find for yourself that sacred space for you to actually engage with say good friday easter sunday and really have it as your own holiday personally and um, um, spiritually for yourself, while at the same time, I mean, you're directing and bringing many into community. How do you find that sacred space for yourself? Uh, two things for me personally uh, that, um, so one is I have to, my own prayer life has to be legit. If I'm not taking the time, I can't just say, well, we have three services today. I'll have my time with God then, you know, in, in formalized focused worship. In the morning, it's I have to get the discipline to sit down and do my morning prayer and just be with God and reflect on what this the significance of this day and gratitude, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Second thing is it's a bit like acting. I find since I was in my previous world I live in, as an actor, you have to just be in the moment and trust that all of the training and all of the homework you did before will allow you to be technically proficient. So if you're an actor and you go on stage and you just go with the moment and act like you, you could do something that's not helpful and act like and, and mess everything up and not be aware of, you know, there's choreography you have to do, right? That's all technique. Um, so the same thing as, an, as a priest, uh, the rehearsals that we do for the service, going through the service, knowing all these different, like now, since we're a digital church as well, I have to be doing things so that people online can appreciate the service. And sometimes... I have to change the camera angles. So if I'm just in a zone spiritually, I, I'm going to lose. I'll forget that. If I'm just thinking about, oh, this moment with God and I got my hands up in the air, I'll totally forget all this other stuff and not, and I'll miss the timing on the next verse with the choir director, you know, all that stuff. So you have to find this balance um, with being technically proficient, but also creative, creatively or spiritually in the moment, which I'm still trying to get to. Cause sometimes I just feel like I'm all technical and it wasn't really a spiritual movement for me, but other times it is powerful, but it's different. I, I do appreciate we just hired a third priest. A lot of times now I can just sit back 
and just listen to her sermon and just listen to her just leave the service and it is so fulfilling and, you know i do feel like i'm that i can just when you don't have to be the leader just sit back and allow this other person to take over um, you don't really have that luxury since you're the main dude right until you hire that second rabbi um then then you're you're every every time you're on right these high holy days you're on dude you're, you're the guy you don't really get to sit back and just say let me be fed mm -hmm. and, and is that a challenge for you or have you made the switch over where no actually this is i've appreciate this and um i've learned to really create the pathway for me to be fed during these during a, as a rabbi and as a leader i mean i think i think especially look this season especially with passover um you know as 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 last year proved i mean we had to pivot as you know you guys did as many communities have and you know saturday night for example we did um passover came in it was first night seder so we you know we had a, a first night seder with my with my family with my with my in-laws with my parents with my brothers um you know it was great second night sunday night we did community seder so we opened it up to our congregation and students from Florida Atlantic University and uh, 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 Nova and Lynn, you know, really to, to, to celebrate together. Um, yeah, you know, in response to your question, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Um, you know, if I get sick, I mean, luckily I do have a cantorial soloist and, you know, I do have great staff um, who can help aid in the process, but it's, um, it's a lot. It's but have you had times when you are on vacation or times when you were able to go to another temple or synagogue and experience what it's like again to be a congregant? Have you been able to have that during your, your time serving as a yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not often, um, but, you know, those, those rare times where, you know, we do take vacation and maybe we're in a certain area, you know, my wife and I and our, and our kids, I mean, we have visited other synagogues because um, I think it's important. I think it's important for my kids to experience another religious institution beyond what they what they see mm -hmm. uh my kids also go to jewish summer camp so they they experience it um all throughout the summer but also for them to understand that you know it's not linear and it's not just one way that there are a multiplicity of different things um I, it is important it, it's always weird sitting in the pew uh and not leading um and a part of me says every now and then it is such a welcomed respite from you know just the the everyday of being able to say wow uh i guess this is what it must be like on the other side um and it is it is meaningful it is it is it is quite um you know lethargic and i just heard uh what it's like for someone to say respite instead of respite so that that's always good so my canadian brother always always introducing me to new ways to treat our english language um all right man, let's get into today so uh good friday when you hear the idea of good friday and i mean you just told me your daughter is off from school is she going to a public school she's at a public school and she's off for good friday i i guess maybe i've just made the switch over to a secular world uh i, I was shocked for that so you are aware of good friday today for the average jew what does good friday mean to them <laughs> look i'll tell you what good friday meant to me growing up good friday meant what a great day because there is no school right growing up you know we would have no school on friday Obviously, uh, and, and then we would also continue. It was a four-day weekend. I mean, we get, you know, Friday off and we'd get Easter Monday off. Um, and that would be it. You know, we get the two-day weekend. We, I don't think as Jews, we even, it even filters into our own mentality. I mean, it's okay, it's Easter. It's, it's a time for celebration for other people to whom we respect and we, uh, you know, we, we, we admire. But we don't, there's not 
we don't go too deeply into it. Okay, has there ever been a situation where, um, um, and I have to ask this question, I don't wanna go into the negative, but uh, have you ever heard from congregants that during this time, is it usually, it, it, okay, are there healthy moments where maybe there's some times where colleagues, friends who are Gentiles, so that you could talk about what does Good Friday mean to them, or or on the other side, has there ever been an unfortunate incident where you felt tension, um, or maybe your kids have felt tension because you're the Jewish kid and you don't really understand what Jesus did for 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 us on this day? I mean, I think I think there is a little bit of both. I mean, look, growing up, uh, you know, I grew up in a very multicultural city, in a big city, um, a large Christian population. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a little bit of I don't want to say ignorance, but I think that there was a lot of misinformation. I mean, you know, growing up as a Jew, we we didn't hear about it. All we knew was that you know the certain key moments and and understanding. Okay, Jesus went on the cross, he died. Three days later, he resurrected himself. Okay, you know, I I, I think I think as as Jews, and again, I, I'm not speaking on behalf of the entire Jewish people. I'm speaking on behalf of just myself. Yeah, there was always tension growing up. I mean, you guys got. You got chocolate eggs. You know, we didn't get chocolate eggs. You know, uh, you know, there's something about the Easter bunny that that and I'm sure it's probably not traditional and it probably has no authority or no understanding within the Christian faith. But there's there's these 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 visual things that we see, whether it be from, you know, as we know from the White House of the egg hunt to all these other things that I think we see this, especially as a kid, we're young and, and we're impressionable. I think there's always been that tension that why can't we have that? Um, you know, my kids see that. You know, can we go on an Easter hunt? No, uh, you know, we don't do that. Um, you know, Easter and Passover usually generally try and coincide with one another. Obviously this year it, it, it almost coincides. Um, you know, I love the term, just to go back, of the term Good Friday. Uh, I, I, you know, in some way as a Jew, uh, we all love the term Good Friday because Friday Friday night will be Shabbat. It's a great day. It's a good day. It's a Yom Tov. It is Shabbat. Uh, but, you know, in terms of, you know, the tension, I don't think I've ever really felt any tension between, you know, my religious ideology and religious faith and, and Christianity or celebrating Easter. But, you know, it's, it, it's different because I think as Jews, we don't really, not the word proselytize, we don't really put it all in your face to... Uh, to witness, to see. And I think with Easter, it's all around. Uh, it's hard not to see it. Um, yeah, and, well, and also that's because it, it, during Good Friday, we read a lot of traditions, at least Catholics and Episcopalians, and I think maybe even Lutherans, will read the Passion again. The Passion is just a part of the scripture that focuses on Jesus uh, being uh, uh, convicted and led to the cross. So and and John and we you reread the Gospel of John. So there's four Gospels, of course. And so the fourth Gospel is the Gospel of John. John's language often refers to the Jews as being the ones who are responsible for Jesus being crucified, as opposed to other Gospels, um, really with throwing the Romans. And, and so you, you, John's Gospel has been accused 
by many people or scholars would say, just be aware that his language, because of his context, is much more pointed at, he will say, the Jews. When really we need to look at it, it's just anyone who was not part of the Jesus movement and a big part of that were the Romans because that they, they were threatened, obviously, by Jesus. So my, I was curious to just that if during this time if someone's wrapped up in the passion and they're, they're really taking the walk of the cross and they're reading John's gospel, and they just somehow, because their mind is not fully stable, start thinking that it's the Jews who crucified Jesus Christ, and that comes out in something. But it sounds like you haven't felt that, which is good. Well, I mean, remember, it took how many, how many, how many millennia for we as Jews to be exonerated uh, for Jesus's death? I mean, what was it, 1971? Why? What happened in 1971? The Pope came out and said something. And the, and the Pope, you know, formally exonerated the Jews for killing Jesus. I mean, look, you know, there are tensions. <laughs> um, you know, but but I think that there's something. I think there. the gospel did that. I think the guy. I don't think the Pope had to do that. I think the Bible does that. No, but when when you look at it, I mean, look, you know, crucifixion. It was never, never a Jewish practice. We know it was a Roman practice. The Jews had our own court. We had our own rabbinical court to be able to, uh, you know, offer judicial decisions and challenges. You know, I, I you know, it's it's. You know, I remember years ago, uh, and again, um, years ago when uh, uh, there was a certain film that was produced that came out with- The Passion, Mel Gibson. Uh, the Mel Gibson film, Passion of the Christ. And I happened to see it with a, with a then, uh, when I was in rabbinical school with a friend of mine who is uh, staunchly Roman Catholic. Uh, oh, know, wow. That's a good show right there. The two of you doing like a uh, live commentary on the Passion. So, I mean, it was interesting you know, and, and as many times throughout the film, I mean, I, look, I, I, I'm not a historian, but there's a part of me uh, that says just throughout the film, there is historically inaccurate. It's just not true. But I remember after the film, she had stood up and said, wow, that was amazing. That's exactly how I was taught Christianity growing up. And that's exactly what I believe. And I remember saying, thinking to myself, I, I, I'm a little shocked here. And I feel not attacked, but I feel like the, the actual history and the message is just not being made clear. Um, and it made us Jews look like really, really terrible. And, you know, I, I, I think when we look at the message in and of itself, of, of what does this season represent? I mean, look, we're, are there challenges? Yes. Uh, did Jesus talk about the corruption and the greed that was going on amongst the rabbinic community? Absolutely. I mean, there's nobody on this, uh, you know, uh, that's religiously minded that, that is not going to agree with that. You know, we understand that as Jews, right? It's talking about the greed and the uh, and the corruption. Um, you know, we acknowledge that Jesus was a Jew. We, we recognize that Jesus was a rabbi, that he was talking and preaching. Um, you know, those things we don't negate. But I think the, the challenge, as you alluded to earlier, as we started, is to put the sins of humanity on one's shoulder and to die for the sins of humanity uh, is something that as Jews, we, we find really challenging um, and, and, and quite problematic given our own belief system. Um, the Messiah, look, as Jews, we believe in a Messiah, absolutely. Um, we believe that there will be a figure, a human who was born, who will redeem you know, the Jewish people in the world, the dead will resurrect themselves and walk through the pearly gates of Jerusalem, right? We believe in this, but also as a reformed Jew, and I think that there is a major distinction between traditional Orthodox Judaism and reformed Judaism is to say that, you know, 
I don't negate the fact that there will be a time when a Messiah will come, but it's that it's that word we say in Hebrew, zman. It, it it is a time, right? It's a messianic age when the world will recognize God's unity, God's sovereignty, and ultimately, you know, the world will become a better, a more homogenous, a more stable place. Only when the world is more stable will we bring about this messianic age, this time. But why not a messianic, but why not a messiah? How did, how did that jump go from messiah to messianic age? Because I think as Reformed Jews, we say, look, no one person can bear the sins of the world on themselves. But doesn't the scripture say that? But it says, ultimately, that we are held accountable and responsible for our actions, for our deeds, that, that you know, we are, we are ultimately the, 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 the one who judges us is the, the God, the true judge, the judge, the arbiter. But right, isn't but there it, an actual Messiah, though, who will lead you in that self-judgment and all that stuff, though, right? Yep. And that's what I'm always confused, is that how did that jump go from dismissing this idea of a singular figure to now just an age? So, so you know, we don't denounce the figure, because in traditional Judaism, it is very much present and there. We've had false messiahs in the past. I think we, we, we talked about this. Uh, I was actually reflecting on the show um, uh, last night with a friend of mine who had asked how many how many episodes we had. And I said, well, if you went into 10 seasons, we're on something like 13th season. Um, we're doing this for a while. And I think we talked about this earlier before that in 1666, we had Judaism's greatest false messiah, Shabbatai Tzvi, who was living in the Ottoman Empire out in Turkey, right? And self-proclaimed himself the Messiah. And he had a lot of followers and a lot of people believed that he was the Messiah called by God. Well, when obviously uh, the Muslims came in and it was this notion of convert or die, if you were the true Messiah, take me to the sword. He did not go to the sword. He converted to Islam uh, and ultimately negated the whole understanding for himself of being a Messiah. He was a false Messiah. So we do believe in Messianic figures, but I think the reform movement, when we looked at it, was saying, why are we waiting? Why are we waiting for a figure, for a human being, when at the end of the day, it's about all of us, that each of us share the responsibility of making the world a better place? So, so, so I mean, that, it, so that leads into the Christian idea of the Messiah, because when Jesus says, you know, now I live within you. So you all are part of this body of Christ, right? You're all part of the body of Christ. So th this is good. So listen, we're, we're going to keep on parsing this out of where do we see the Hebrew scripture and the Christian scripture working together and where are they just completely colliding on this idea of Messiah and we'll keep on going with this Good Friday what makes it so good and deep into uh, dig into the, the point of the crucifixion for Christians and then get rabbis take on, on that idea of the crucifixion about bearing our sins about this idea of a, a sacrifice for all of humanity um, so that's what you're going to get on this show so listen stick around we're going to go hear from people who support the show if you ever want to support this show uh, please give us a call here um, Evan um, our producer will take your credit card over the phone 772-220-9788 and we also want to hear from you why is Good Friday so good whether you're a Jew or a Christian we want to hear from you 772 220-9788. This is a priest and a rabbi, and we're going to be right back.
You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay, welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to the second part of A Priest and a Rabbi. God bless you all on this good Friday. This is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Stiglede. I'm about to to reintroduce you. Why why are you interrupting me? All you do is interrupt me, Rabbi. You you can't stand and hear my voice. (laughs) I'm interested in two things. One, um, you know, we call it Good Friday. Let's change the name. Let's call it Meaningful Friday. Okay, so yeah, just your local reform rabbi now, just yeah, trying just to I, I, I change the tradition Christianity. of Christianity. That's fine. Um, so you know, you know, when it comes to our holiday of like Passover, right? There are certain things that as Jews that we do to prepare for the holiday itself, right? So for Passover, we rid our houses of chametz of leaven products, right? And 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 it's a process that happens before Passover comes in. Are there 
what's the preparation like for you as a Christian to prepare for Easter or for Good Friday? I mean, are there preparations that are done beyond your own clerical responsibilities as a Christian? Are there things that you do in terms of preparation? We're not allowed to eat any asparagus for 40 days. So that makes the bathroom clean. It doesn't smell. No. Uh, so we get 40 days. I mean, 40 days of Lent is, is the big thing. So last 40 days, you take on these disciplines that are going to say, what is getting in the way of me? Uh, uh, or, or how do I create more space for me to find more of God in my life? Um, and it helped me to have this season of repentance. So there's 40 days. Boom. Now we get to Holy Week. So Holy Week is what we've been in for the last, since, since Sunday, since Palm Sunday, this last Sunday, has been Holy Week. Holy Week is now we're getting into the ninth inning of Lent. And so now we're in, and so we take this journey and now we're in tritium. Tritium are the three days leading to Easter. Tri diem, three days, tritium. So you started yesterday with Monday, Thursday, the foot washing. Today is Good Friday, the crucifixion. So today's services are very somber. It's very dark. Last night, we stripped the altar. Imagine stripping everything from the temple. So we go in as priests after the service of foot washing and we strip everything from the sanctuary because it's the idea of the body of Christ being torn apart and the, everything, we, the, the disciples ran at, from the crucifixion. They didn't stay. So the, so the body of Christ was torn. They all ran. There was nothing left. It was depression. It was despair. It was the Jesus movement was over. He, the Romans won and Jesus died upon the cross. So everything gets stripped. So right now in our sanctuary, there is nothing in there. It is spread so it's it's, it's done it's done so so people is that is that is that a common practice that's done in most christian churches historic churches so liturgical churches that come and follow the traditions that come out of the second third fourth and fifth century yes evangelical churches no you're not going to see that uh, but more of like an episcopal catholic maybe methodist uh, lutheran orthodox yes this idea so it's called the and then that leads into an all-night prayer so that we've had a people in the church praying since 8 p.m. to 9 a.m. this morning. And that's, that's, that's this idea of where Jesus says, could not you stay with me for one hour without falling asleep? And his disciples kept on falling asleep. And then, and that's when the Romans show up, grab him because Judas sells him out and he gets taken to, uh, to be convicted of the crime. So, uh, and, and with, with, with the foot washing, um, I mean, is this something that is done? Like if I was Christian, could I, could I just do my wife's feet in the privacy of my own home? Is it something that's conferred by the priest that I have to go to church to be able to have my foot washed? I mean, how does that practice work? So the, the church will, it's, just, it's biblical, it's right there in the Bible. The church will then take that and create a liturgical or sacramental act through it. It's not a sacrament, but it's a sacramental act. So we include it into the worship. So it becomes a very holy significance. So just imagine you're in a worship service. And then there's a point where now you've heard about this foot washing in the scripture, the preacher preached upon it, and then invites everyone to come up to wash one another's feet. So then you, Rabbi Durbin, are washing the random dude in the third pew's feet, and he's washing yours. It's vulnerable. It's weird. It's So that becomes part of the worship, and that becomes a holy experience. Now, it's in the Bible. So it doesn't have to just be the church. So if you and your wife found it to be a very powerful spiritual walk for you too, that every year, or maybe twice a year, you guys sit down and wash each other's feet and do it in a prayerful way. That's amazing. That's awesome. I don't know how many Christians do that. I would actually love to know if anyone's ever done that outside of the church. I think that's great. 
Um, but last, last night, Monday, Thursday is the night where we do that in community. And since it's the pandemic, we actually just chose one family to come up, a multi-generational family. And they became sort of this living stained glass window that we sort of just watched and have them wash each other's feet. You know, grandkids, mm -hmm. mom, grandma. And, uh, and, and so they'll lead us to this idea of that's what servant living really is, to have a servant and, and, heart. And does this occur... I mean, you know, for, for, for members of your community since the moment of birth, that they, you know, this is, this is something that even when a child is born, that we do this foot washing, clearly we do the foot washing all the time, but are, are, are say babies or infants or young families, I mean, are they, in, they're introduced to this during this, this time of your season since the moment of birth? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you can understand it, but I have vibrant memories as, and I think this is the, the power of a liturgical church. This is why I'm born and bred an Episcopalian and I've dated other churches for a long time. I always come back to the Episcopal church. As a kid, I just remember going into the sacred space. There was this, this seeing these visuals. There was this time when people went in, took off their shoes, put their feet in these bins and then have a priest fall down to his or her knees and wash their feet. So this sticks in my head. And, and, and so then it's just, this lesson that the rabbi uh, Jesus is teaching us, this is what I call you to do for one another. So I, that's what's always drawn me to- And the significance, the significance being about humility, about vulnerability, right? I, I assume those major- Because Jesus says right before this is, listen, you call me Lord, you call me rabbi, you call me teacher. All that is true. But now from this point forward, um, I now call you friends and- um, I now give you a new commandment. And that new commandment is to love one another as I have loved you. And then he starts to take off his robe and he, and he falls down to his knees. And he shows that you've placed me up here in a high status role as your teacher, rabbi. You may even call me Lord. I'm going to fall down to my knees below you and wash this dirty part of your body. And now you need to go do that for others. If you really want to be blessed, that's what he says. If you really want to be blessed and follow me, it, it, you need to fall to your knees and wash each other's feet. It's this great lesson of humility that teaches us that what true love is, is a sacrificial love. It's, there's a cost to it and you have to throw your ego out the window. Um, and that's a tough love to do. And that's what, and then he says, and then he's, that's what's foreshadowing the cross for us. So that's why Good Friday is so good. He's about to teach us the ultimate form of love. Um, it is a humble love. It is one that we, when you bear your cross, it doesn't mean that I'm taking on this hard thing. It just means what is your act of incredible self-giving love to bear a cross? It means you're going to get up in front of this world and open up your arms, be nailed to it and say, I give you everything. Even if you spit on me, if you hate me, that's very challenging to do that kind of love. That's very tough. Um, and that's what makes Good Friday so good because we can do that love through the power of this Messiah who's willing to die for us. Now we're called to die for others. I can't do that humanly. I could do that through the power of Christ, but it takes a lifetime to figure out how to do that, man, because we all know what, how hard it is, not just to love your enemies, but to love your neighbor. <laughs> That's not easy stuff, man. We know we're all when such you, jerks to each other. <laughs> when you bookend it uh, in terms of, you know, your Super Bowl of holidays, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, clearly... Uh, Christmas is a big Super Bowl event, right? Ether is a big Super Bowl event, right? When you look at those two major holidays for you, um, uh, is there one that presents more preparation, more soul searching than the other, or are they 
similar in that regard? You know, what's that like for you? I mean, Easter is is a bear. I mean, it because because it, it's just it just involves so many high holidays within it. It's got holidays within the journey to get to Easter. Christmas is it, there's the birth, there's Advent, there's 50 days that lead up to it. But it's it's more. It, it's really all about Christmas. And so you just prepare for Christmas, you do it. Easter, there's all these other services that pop up and all these other sub-services and sub-projects you can do surrounding it. And there's so much formation that needs to happen because baptisms are traditionally done at Easter as well. So on top of all the other things you're doing, you got to think of as a, as a church community, you're also now preparing sometimes 10 people for baptism. So that's classes, that's formation, that's uh, other worship stuff for them. And then now, like on Sunday, we'll be at the beach at 630 in the morning, baptizing everything from infants to adults who will be full immersion. So there's a lot more moving parts, but a lot more soul searching to your point. And we're dealing with our sin. There's so much more hope in Christmas. There's hope in Good Friday and in Christmas, but we, I mean, in Easter, but we have to really do deep soul searching of our sin and the darkness of our soul. And that is, is emotional. That is, a, there's a vulnerability to that. And that can really be gut wrenching. And, and, and on more on a, on a, on a more personal level for you, um, um, you know, did you, have you had the opportunity to, uh, to wash your son's feet? <laughs> That's great. I say this as, as, as really one of pure interest in terms of if you had the opportunity to wash your son's feet and you did it, what was that like for you emotionally as a priest? I mean, I see it as a rabbi, right? There are times where, I mean, I'll give you an example. On Sunday night and Saturday night, you know, my oldest saying what we call the four questions. It's actually not four questions. It's one question. Why is tonight different from all other nights? Right? And then we respond with four responses, four um, answers to the question. And hearing her sing those questions, I mean, got myself and my wife in a state of just, it was so emotional to be able to see my kid who takes this seriously, who took the time to prepare and is learning Hebrew to be able to use it in a way that really just, just melted my heart. I can only imagine from your perspective as well as, look, your son's, right, he's coming up to his, his, his birthday pretty soon, hitting one year, right, to be able to wash his feet, to see this miracle that's before you, to know of your tradition. Well, what's that like for you as a priest? It will be very cool when we do it, and I'm glad you uh, um, <laughs> suggested it. So I think that what we can do as a family, I think that'd be a beautiful thing to wash one another's feet um, and, and to to embody that tradition itself. So um, I, I haven't, you know, since Kwame is just getting his his feet wet <laughs> in in life, he's just walking. Um, uh, to, for us to start having these traditions within our own house will be very powerful, um, and to see his growth. Uh, um, in, 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 in his faith and understanding of it without trying to be a preacher's kid and just have it thrust upon him. I'm sure you have that with having, since your wife is also a rabbi, having rabbi's kids, it's probably the same kind of idea. I don't know, with, see, with preacher's kids, they, they can go one way or the other. They can go completely against religion or totally into it, depending mm -hmm. on how you delicately walk that walk as, as, as the uh, parent slash pastor slash rabbi. Um, but yeah, I think that, that these, these are, these are powerful things. And so in, in the meantime, though, there's Easter eggs and then you have to do the balance of, I mean, the Easter bunny is nothing 
really. It, it embodies where, brand. Where, where, where did those items come from? I, I, my question is actually twofold. One, where did these items come from in terms of, you know, the Easter egg and the hunting and the finding, right? Where did that come from? And I guess the other question I had is, you know, um, you know, beyond just our own North American ethnocentric ideology in terms of what we understand, have you experienced or read about or heard of, say, in other communities around the world, variants in terms of foot washing or other stuff that's done to commemorate, to remember this moment in your, you know, Christian community? You know, say, you know, I know your wife's from Ghana. I mean, are there Ghanaian uh, um, uh, different traditions that are done? Is it all uniform in terms of whether I'm in a church in Argentina, in Florida, in uh, Togo, in, you know, uh, you know, East Africa, West Africa, are they, is it all uniform or is it, or is it, or is it different? Well, the beauty of, of being part of a denomination is that for the most part, it will be following because for Anglicans, or slash Episcopalians, we have the Book of Common Prayer. So we're following the same rubrics with it. Now, of course, culture is going to influence it, hopefully in a really positive way to really make it more, to reflect the context. Good liturgy reflects the context. So you will see variances. You will see the music's going to be different. It might look differently. There might be a take on the foot washing that's going to be very different. Um, so I know of just churches in, in uh, East LA, Los Angeles, uh, their foot washing, because they are, serving the poor they're on the streets with the poor when they foot wash they don't wash each other's feet and everyone gets nice pedicures and you do it inside the church they are they go outside their church on the streets of east la and they're washing the feet of homeless folks who are who who feel comfortable and are open and usually they have relationships with homeless the homeless folks around the church it's a very healthy trusting relationship and so they go and wash their feet and maybe vice versa uh, so, so you'll see that, like it would be in the context. I don't have enough knowledge to, to speak upon the Ghanaian tradition, but I do know. Uh, so the Ghanaian church that we've been to out there is the Anglican church. And that church is 10 times more Anglican than the church that I'm at right now. I mean, they are a high church. It is smoke all over the place. You know, the thoroughfare, the smells, the bells, what you experienced when you attended an Anglican church, an Anglican school in Canada. So yes, I think you're going to see some variances, but Hopefully everything is embedded in following scripture. It's following what Jesus did. The foot washing is scriptural. It's not just a tradition in the church that is based in the Bible. All the other stuff that comes in that's not found in the Bible usually is a reflection of the church trying to incorporate the culture, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in Ghana, whether it's in Detroit, of trying to incorporate without losing the integrity of the Christian faith to say we honor the people and let's bring that into it. So let, let me get to this. I want to ask you a question. So when you hear this idea of a sacrificial lamb, that this idea of the Messiah, so there's different kinds of atonement theory, um, this atonement where, what does this mean that we are freed from our sin? So as Christians, um, for the most part, most of us believe that Jesus has atoned for our sin, that what he did on the cross, that all of the horror and worst part of humanity was nailed into him and therefore dies with him and goes into the grave and he resurrects. So therefore nothing can stop the power of God, no sin, not even death. And that hope and power of receiving that into ourselves and being reborn into that 
uh, allows us to be reborn into a new life of goodness and of following God of sacrificial love. Now, of course, that gets distorted and people turn it into a, being part of a club and act like idiots and get egotistical and blah, 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 and think it's a get out of jail free card. But for the most part, it's being reborn into a life of, of, of selfless love. Um, what does it mean to you as a Jew for a faith to say, I look at this cross, this Messiah, some would say substituted, it's a substitution for my own punishment. This Messiah takes everything that God should do on us, the punishment. He takes it so I'm free from sin. Is there any alignment with Hebrew scripture with that for, in, in, uh, from your perspective? No. Not even Isaiah, the suffering servant? No, because I think even when, with, with Isaiah, you know, even if we take into context, you know, for those that may be not familiar, right, Isaiah is writing about the time just before uh, the Babylonian exile, 586 before the Common Era, right? Um, I think I think when you look at Isaiah, he's looking at at the understanding of it's about faith, it's about belief. It, look, things are going to go bad. Uh, there, there's no, there's no, there, there's no sugarcoating this, right? Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire is going to come in. They're going to ransack. They're going to expel us. It's going to be bad, but don't lose faith in God. However, I think the, 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 the moment of suffering, and I think we also have to define what suffering is, because I think it's the, same, it's the same notion as um, fasting, right? We associate fasting with only with food. It's not the case. Fasting means a cessation of X, Y, or Z. We attribute it with food, but you're right. You know, on, on Yom Kippur, for example, we're told we don't engage in, you know, acts of pleasure. We don't engage in sexual relations. We don't use leather on shoes because it, it's a moment of, of luxury, right? We deny ourselves certain things. And I think that to suffer says in some way that although I'm suffering or I'm taking on that, that suffering aspect, gives me more ability to understand the longings of humanity and what needs to get done in order to secure a more safe and 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 secure world still doesn't answer your question no it didn't at all no it didn't um i think i think look as jews we were given we were given the most greatest gift and that gift we were given by god was not only life but we were given the gift of choice and the right God says to you, Christian, to me, uh, Matt, I present to you life and death. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Now, that serves one purpose. The other is God effectively says, if you, Christian, want to be a wicked, evil, spiteful, nasty, miserable person, that's your choice. If I want to be good, that's my choice. So I think from a Judaic perspective, we look at it in terms of I create my own destiny. It's not predetermined or predestined by God. Is that I create my own, not, not anyone else. I don't put any of my baggage or any of my stuff on other people to carry the burden. The burden's on my shoulders. But so what about God? But, but when you want to unburden Scientologists would say you want to unburden all the stuff that's on your mind and heart that's dragging you down you will place that to God right I mean you need God's help to find forgiveness and say I can't bear this all on my own bear this burden with me God because I'm just a human I'm frail so come and take my sin from me is there is that but kind I of think, thought but that's 
but but what you just said, you know, I agree with what you said, except for that last part that says, "Please, God, free me from the sin or what 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 have you." I I think that there's something there that is Jews. Yeah, look, if there's something going on, I will. You know, we pour out supplications to God. I don't expect God. I expect God to hear my words. I don't expect in some way resolution. I expect for me to say, God, give me strength. Give me courage to get through this or whatever it may be. How about forgiveness? God, give me forgiveness. I feel so guilty for I've been a weak human being. Sure. Forgive me for the iniquity or the whatever it may have been. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's in our liturgy. We say it all the time. I think that there's something there of not to say that, well, now I'm absolved of sin. So you don't you don't practice an absolution? That you're never absolved well, of I mean, sin? Look, that, that I could say to God, please forgive me, right? Is God going to respond back and say, absolutely, my dear boy? No. But there's something there within my core that says, I've tried, I've 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 poured out my my love and my devotion to God. Yes. Absolution is more also on a beyond God, uh, beyond the, uh, you know, to the human to human interaction. Wait, did you say beyond God? I said in addition to God. Okay. Yeah, but, 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 but you still, okay, if you're, if you're pastoring to a guy in death row and he's trying to move on so he can become right with God, wouldn't there be a part where you guys will pray together and ask for God to absolve him of the sins of murdering someone? So no, but I would say, please, God, hear his hear his words, hear his prayer. This is someone who was repentful, somebody who is really being challenged by it. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say as a rabbi, please absolve him of sin, because that's that's not for me to judge. That's for God to judge, and for the individual. But what yeah, I, would I guess say, that's what makes the power of the cross. So so we believe that the cross absolves us of our sin if you honestly come with a repentant heart, a truthful and repentant heart. And you, and you honestly want to make a shift in your life. So that guy in death row, uh, you really believe that he is making a shift in his life. He has started a new chapter. The people may never forgive him, but God is saying, now go forth and, and be a, a good child of God. You've started a new life. There's no reason for you to live in this misery. You might, but um, so yeah, it's interesting. The way that we look, we both our faiths look at sin, how it hangs upon us, how we can be freed from it. I think that's the biggest thing is that God, for me, is saying, you are of no use to me if you just live in your guilt and self-hatred and think that you're just this, this less than person. I want to, whether that's from murdering someone or whether that's for more figuratively murdering someone, just practicing hatred. Um, I want to free you from that so you could be a more loving human being. Because we all know that so much of our hatred comes from our own self-hatred. Um, listen, this is all good stuff, and we're just getting into the meat of this. So we'll have to be talking about this again some more. Um, we're, we're, we're at the end of the show, and uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on at both of our houses of worship. And you don't have to just be in Martin County to come see it. So both of our places are online. So from, from St. Mary's, you can go to stmarys-stewart.org. That's our website. And check out everything. Our Good Friday Masses today, our Great Vigil our ton of services on Easter. So if you can't get out of the house or if you're in a place where you're church shopping and you, or church dating, um, come come check us out or be with us in person if you're in, in, in town. Um, but, but then also come check out my brother over here and how can they find you, my man? Yeah, we are super easy. We are www.tbhfl.org. Uh, we've got a ton of stuff coming up. Uh, uh, obviously, with uh, tomorrow night being the end of Passover, we have a Jewish film festival uh, next Sunday. 
uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on from now till uh, uh, till till next May um, or till, till next April. We got a lot going on. Follow us. Uh, we're on Facebook as well as I know St. Mary's is as well. Um, you know, but I think we've also got something coming up pretty soon, Father Anderson, of uh, 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 community togetherness between. Yeah, guys. So check us out. Uh, a Rabbi Durbin will be preaching at St. Mary's Episcopal Church on April eighteenth. Come to the church. He's preaching at the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock. And then you'll be doing a dialogue with me on the 21st. That's Wednesday at uh, 6.30 p.m. So that's the same Mary's Episcopal Church in Stewart. The rabbi is coming to the Episcopal Church. He will be preaching at the church and then teaching. All right, everyone. Check that out. It's a big deal. We're in the final minute. Our producer is telling us to get off the air. He's got better and bigger clients who are coming on after us. We're just these small hometown guys who got no, we just, we pay to play here. You know, so since we pay to play here, if you want to help support this show of getting out Judeo-Christian relationships, please call us at the studio, 220-9788-772-220-9788. And Evan, our producer, will meet you on the phone. And he takes Zelle, he takes everything. He even will take Bitcoin um, to get the show. Keep on going. All right, everyone. God bless you. Have a very good, good Friday in whatever tradition you're in. Even if you're an atheist, I want you to have a beautiful good Friday. And we will catch you next time here on A Priest and a Rabbi every Friday on 1450 WSTU. Peace. Okay, uh, we will be doing the open in the count of three, two, one. It's a very good Friday for a priest and a rabbi. A very good Friday for you and for me. But I believe that Jesus died on a tree and rabbi just thinks it's day that his kids get off of school. Is that right? Is that sum up Good Friday for you and me? Yeah. Uh, Today's the yeah. day that Jesus died on the cross for me. Today's the day your kids get off of school for you. Yeah. Priest and a rabbi. Okay, so we're going to parse that out. And we all know there's so much more behind that. We're going to figure out what does it really mean for the Messiah to die for the people from a Jewish perspective and for a Christian perspective? What is it like for a priest to go through this process? What does it mean for a priest and a rabbi to be dealing with these high holy days? Uh, and uh, so all that's coming at you in this next 57 minutes. We're glad you're here on this podcast. Uh, please share this. This is how we grow this community. If you can share this podcast with three people who would really appreciate to hear from interfaith conversations and having honest conversations uh, about differences in religion and finding where we're all on the same page as well, um, but not looking through rose-colored glasses. We know there's things that we're definitely on opposite ends as well. Um, so just just uh, subscribe and leave a comment. Um, we're happy to get into this. So a rabbi on this day off for your children, and you get and you get Monday off. So you think the Christians don't do anything anymore for, for Jews. It's not true. You get Monday off too. Drew, you give us a four-day weekend. We appreciate it. I mean, for all the horrors that have been done to the Jews, doesn't that give you some kind of comfort? Be like, well, guys, they're at least trying. Mm. Yeah. That's not they gave, funny. They gave, they gave us a long weekend. 
long weekend. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Humor is, is sometimes a healer. So um, whether that was humorous or not, Rabbi Durbin, are you ready for this, this podcast? Uh, I was, I was, I was born ready. I know that. And, and Evan Nine, um, our, our wonderful Mets person, are you ready? He's our producer. Okay. He's ready to go. Okay, guys, um, we are getting ready to go for what is, what makes Good Friday so good on this Priest and the Rabbi cast, podcast on a count of five, four, three, two, one.